0: So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. It's in 1 Peter. It's a great passage. You don't really need a clever introduction to get people's attention with this text because of what Peter says. It's beautiful, it's rich, it's challenging, it can be intense, and we're going to spend the next two or three weeks looking at it together. I'll begin reading in 1 Peter 3 at verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, this is your word. And Peter tells us that he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Your word is inerrant. We thank you for it and pray, Holy Spirit, now that you would move here too and that we would understand your word, would live according to your word, that we would abide in you, Jesus, and would see the power of your present work, presence working in us. We pray in Christ's name, amen. The first thing I want to say is that this morning, I am not going to cover every issue that's in this text. And there are many. The roles of husbands and wives. I'm going to spend time on that next week. The idea that a woman's conduct could be so godly that it could win an unbelieving husband to faith in Christ, that's pretty amazing. The idea of beauty, adorning ourselves externally and internally, that's a big deal. And That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. What I want you to see is how practical God's Word really is. Sometimes people say, I don't really get into the Word of God, it doesn't really matter or help me practically well that's actually not true one of the beauties of walking through a letter like this is you begin to see how Peter really speaks into a lot of areas of life for the first couple of chapters he's done a remarkable job of laying the foundation really talking about our primary identity in Christ and then our secondary identity as sojourners and as sojourners we feel a lot of tension As we journey from here towards heaven, there are so many things as believers that are tensions in our life. One is the tension of the passions that wage war against us. There are passions for the flesh and there are passions for the fruit of the spirit. There are tensions between the roles that we live. Even here, tension sometimes between the role of husband and wife, but also in government, which we saw just a couple of weeks ago. On this journey, there's a tension between longing for eternity, saying something like, I long for Jesus to return. I long for the day when all is made right. Along with the tension of being called to the present and being light in the very city that we're called to. There is a tension between the already and the not yet. What we already know about God, but not yet realizing fully. There is a tension that exists between victories and defeats sometimes daily, we experience that. And here we see the tension between that which is hidden and that which is exposed, that which is external and that which is internal. And here Peter is talking about beauty, beauty. Beauty is something that we were made for. and We recognize it. We can tell when something is beautiful, but already though we can tell it's beautiful, we can't yet see anything perfectly. So we were made for beauty. That's why we're attracted to beautiful things. But because we live in a broken world, this side of heaven, beauty itself is broken. And that's where I wanna start today. How is beauty broken? If we're honest about the way in which we as a culture pursue external beauty, if we're honest, we know that something is truly broken. Now, I wanna be honest. What I'm gonna say over the next few minutes is gonna create tension inside you. This is not just for women, though you might feel it more than men. I have taught on this passage a lot of times over a lot of years. I'm frankly not sure how helpful it's been. I think in my early years, I really focused kind of on a legalistic side, focusing in on the idea of not adorning ourselves externally. I think the Lord's shown me a lot through the years of what this text really means, and it's a lot deeper than that. But I wanna tell you, my concern is not so much that we're gonna see the wrong thing that's here. I think we're gonna see what's right, but believing it and living it in a culture that is completely opposed to this is gonna be hard. I told my wife when I shared with her what I was about to preach, she just kinda looked at me, what are you gonna say? I said, I'm going to say whatever the Lord leads me to say, I think, (laughs) and then I'm going to run to my car. (laughs) There's nothing offensive here, if we understand it rightly, but we have to begin with this idea that because of the fall, because of sin, beauty really is broken, and it is an issue for women, and it is an issue for men. And what I want to do this morning is talk about this the brokenness of beauty. And then I want to talk about the way in which beauty is being redeemed. And then I want to talk about being beautiful. So how is beauty broken? First, I believe beauty is broken by the way in which we define it. And it's become so much a part of our culture that we make jokes about beauty and, and even ugliness all the time in ways that really reveal that we don't understand what true beauty is. And now I am am talking about external beauty. The amount of money that we spend just as a nation on beauty, on external beauty, will blow your mind. I'm not going to give you statistics, but I think you ought to look it up. Just type in how much money is spent on marketing perfume, makeup, clothes, jewelry, surgery, go on and on, it'll blow your mind. We are a culture that is obsessed with external beauty. And I don't think the church looks a whole lot different than the world here. Why is it? It's because the definition of beauty is really broken. And in so many ways, we as a people have conformed to the pattern of the world. Instead of being renewed, but the Spirit's work in our life according to his word in the mind. And so what happens is that we become fascinated with external beauty. We become fixated on looking in the mirror, putting on the best face we can, but so often feeling pretty poor about the way in which we look. Peter says very clearly in the first verse, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. We kind of get where that's going. But then he says in verse three, do not let your adorning be external. So adorning means to, to add to, to make more beautiful. And Peter is saying, don't let that be external. Now, when we come to a text like this, there are two very serious mistakes we make. The first is we take it and we approach it from a very legalistic standpoint. And I did that in my younger days as a youth pastor. Very legalistic. Peter does not say here that you cannot braid your hair. He does not say that if you're wearing jewelry right now, that's sin. That's external adorning. You need to understand that. He is not saying that because actually the way this is put together grammatically, if you believe Peter was saying you shouldn't braid your hair and you shouldn't wear gold jewelry, you would have to go on to say you shouldn't wear clothes. That's really what it would mean. Peter's point is not to focus on the external adornment but to focus on a beauty that is vastly superior. And that is the adorning of the the internal, the quiet, intimate relationship with God who sees you as precious when you're in union with Him. We easily fall off on the side of, I want to know the measurements. I want to know how high above the knee a skirt can be, or if it should be above the knee at all. And what happens is we begin to add things to the Word of God because we're approaching this text in the wrong way. That's one major mistake. Peter doesn't go there. Peter is focusing our attention on something that is far greater, vastly superior, a beauty that he describes as imperishable. He's simply saying, Don't focus on the external adornment. Focus on the internal. Now, let's be candid. The other side is also dangerous. And that is where we say something like this. Peter was, you know, Mark, he wrote this a long time ago. And the women and the way in which they dressed in, the way they were treated, it was a completely different context. That's actually true in some ways. But we can't take the Word of God and say, because the context there was so radically different, there's nothing for us to apply here. Therefore, we can wear whatever we want. That's not proper biblical understanding either. I'm not going to spend very much time saying, this is what you should wear, and this is what you shouldn't, because Peter doesn't. What I'm going to spend a lot of time on is focus on the internal adorning. And if we truly understand what Peter is saying here, that external adorning is gonna take care of itself. But I will give you two just words to, to, to really track with. One, when it comes to the clothes you buy, modesty and restraint are two good rails to ride on. Modesty and restraint. But be very careful that as you make decisions about what to wear, that you're focused on the internal adornment, not the external. Let me say it this way. You could clothe every square inch of your body, except for your ability to see, and you could still be very much focused on external adornment. You can dress that way because you want people to know that you aren't going to wear anything that would cause anyone to stumble. And we shouldn't wear anything that would cause somebody to stumble but our heart can be sinful and legalistic in misunderstanding a passage like this. That is not Peter's point. Peter is simply saying there is a beauty that is vastly different than the external. The external is temporary. The external is fading. There is a beauty that is imperishable and precious. And that's what I want to tell you about, Peter says. So, as I'm framing this sermon over the last few weeks, God brought before my eyes what's really, really important. That is, I'm a dad and I'm a husband. I'm married to Christina, 25 and a half years. She's beautiful internally, she's beautiful externally. I have three girls, two boys. The girls are 20 and 18 and eight. I'm gonna talk about them for a minute. I have the privilege of leading my family. I have the privilege of helping my daughters understand what they should wear and what they shouldn't wear. And if you're not at this stage yet, or if you're past this stage, or if you are at this stage, this is something that happens to a dad. Girls go shopping for clothes, a dance is coming, or a a, a trip to the beach is coming, and moms take them shopping. Dads have concern about what they're going to buy. With our modern technology, there have been many times my wife sends me a picture of the girls stepping out of the wardrobe, out of the dressing room. My response almost immediately is, no. (laughs) No. Next, no. No. Dads, That's actually part of your job. It is. When you see your daughter come down and you know it might cause someone to stumble, it's not modest, there's not restraint, you should say, go upstairs and change. But that is so short, it falls so short of what your primary responsibility is. Your primary responsibility is not to be the gatekeeper and the fashion guard to tell them, no, put on a longer dress. It is to take them by the hand at the youngest of ages and say, I want to show you a beauty that is imperishable. I want to show you a beauty that is precious because I'm your daddy and I love you. And you are beautiful. And as they get older, their eyes will roll, and they'll say, you're my my dad. Yes, I am your dad, but you are beautiful. And the words that I say as a human father to a a human daughter are powerful, but they're nowhere near as powerful as these little girls learning to hear their heavenly father say, you are are precious in my sight. Because one of the great differences is my eyes are imperfect. I cannot see perfect beauty. But God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit sees with perfect eyes. And Peter tells us in this, his word, God's word, that there is a beauty that is imperishable. There is a beauty that is precious to God and its union with Christ. It is women and men learning to adorn themselves with that internal beauty. Because beauty is broken, it is very hard for us to believe that Jesus is enough. Because beauty is broken, it's very hard for us to believe that He is enough. We know because God's word says we should focus on the internal endowment, but there's a part of us that says, I'm glad I know that's true. I'm glad he feels that way about me, but still when I look in the mirror, this is what I have to do, and this is what I want. That's actually where Peter is going. Peter essentially is saying, if you spend time understanding who you are internally in Jesus, who Christ is in you, your union with Him. You have a beauty that is beyond anything that you could actually even imagine. When we live there, men or women, when we live there, that thing gives perspective on all of the other external adornments. Most women... Don't look in the mirror and say, "Ah." (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Women look in the mirror most and they say, This is what's wrong. Names of makeup are given to even describe it. This is concealer. Beauty is broken in the way in which we have this tension. The tension of hiding, concealing, and on the other side, finding those those things that we would would buy or use to accentuate. So these are the problem areas, and these are the non-problem areas. Let's hide the problem areas, accentuate the non-problem areas. It happens, doesn't it? I heard a woman not long ago say to me when she knew I was going to preach on this. She said, you know, I'm going to be honest. I probably feel most ugly when I come to church. I said, tell me what you mean. Spiritually? She said, no. There, even in a church like ours. There's just this sense of, I don't measure up. I think most women feel that. Even the ones that others would look to and say, they got it all. My friends, this demon is in deep. This obsession is really deep. The temptation to find our value in the external adornment is deep. But God has the power to break that. God has the power to actually set us free from something that we have been enslaved to since we were really little. Women, I want to talk to you for a minute. When your little girls pretend, and then it moves from pretend at a much younger age than it used to, to reality. Think about the way in which marketers are developing clothing lines and makeup, etc., much earlier. When they watch you get ready and they listen to what you say, do they see a woman who is living out of this deep, internal, precious intimacy with the imperishable beauty of knowing Christ? Or do they hear you say things like, getting old stinks. I've got a few gray hairs now. I need to get those colored. My wife actually had the audacity not long ago to say, I have a gray hair. This is really important. Your little ones are watching. Now, immediately you probably go, What have I shown them? My friends, hit delete there. Now, let's go forward. What might you show them now? What you might show them is that you are a precious daughter of the living God, precious in his sight given a beauty that is imperishable, does that mean you should stop wearing makeup or wearing jewelry or certain types of clothes? Maybe on the clothes, if they're not modest and there's not restraint. But that's not the real answer. The real answer is that they see in you this amazing abiding relationship where you really are living in the freedom of who you already are in Jesus. Now, some people here, like my daughters, would say something like this to me at this point. Dad, you're just old-fashioned. And I would say, you're right. And that's a good thing. Think about the word, old fashioned. fashion, Fashion. Fashion. <laughs> I am fashionable. <laughs> and I'm old my friends, if you're old-fashioned, you're in really good company, because so was Peter. And what Peter did is he gently spoke or wrote this letter, at this point specifically speaking to women, he gave them an illustration. And the illustration was of a woman, and the illustration was of an old woman. And the illustration went back thousands of years, because Peter took them to Sarah, in verse 5, Peter says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now immediately, immediately we go to that. Wow, she submitted to Abraham, and she called him Lord. This is dangerous. We miss what's most important. It says, as Peter gives Sarah as an example, for this is how the holy women, listen, who hoped in God. The New Living Translation says, who trusted in God. The first responsibility is not submission to the husband. The first responsibility is in trusting God. The first responsibility, the first identity is to see yourself as the beloved daughter of the living God. Sarah trusted in the Lord, therefore she adorned herself internally to Him. Out of that proper primary identity, she then pursued the internal beauty, adorning herself the right way. What that means For us, men and women, is that we live out of this identity of what it means to be in Christ. If we spend time meditating upon who we are in Jesus, having trusted Him, the external adorning that we're tempted towards is going to take care of itself. To the degree with which you are consumed with external adorning, I am convinced it's because you don't really believe who you already are in Jesus. For some of you, it might be because you're not in Jesus. You've never professed faith in Christ. I pray today you would, men, women, children. For some, you have professed faith in Christ. But the powerful grip of the world on external attractiveness, external beauty, has so consumed you that it's hard to hear that you're precious in anyone's sight, let alone the living God's. If that's true and you're bound up in that, my dear friend, Jesus has the power to set you free. And as he does, you are going to see that you are beautiful. You are precious to Him. And that is the only beauty that is lasting. It's imperishable. Father in heaven, you're beautiful. You're beautiful beyond description. And one day that will mean more than the words I'm praying for we will stand in awe of your beauty. You're so gracious, even this side of heaven, to give us a glimpse. But Lord, on this journey, we are trapped so often by what the world says is beautiful and by the desire for the world to notice us instead of submitting to you and trusting you. Lord, we are all burdened by this. We pray that you would lift us to see your glory and your beauty, and that in doing so, we would see ourselves rightly as your precious children. Lord, if there's any here today who would admit that they don't know you, I pray that they would come to Saving Faith today, even as I pray, or maybe they would go and pray with one of the people in the corners of our sanctuary. I pray, Lord, if there are those who know you, but this has been a bondage in their life, that your spirit would be gentle today and let them see how great the grip is on them, on us. Set us free, dear Jesus, for your glory's sake, for your beauty's sake. We pray in your name. Amen.